0: This is the Youth Worker Collective podcast from Young People's Ministries. You don't have to be in ministry alone with resources, coaching, games, and more at umcyoungpeople.com.
1: Hello, welcome. Jake Mulder is with us today. Jake is the Senior Director of Strategy at the Fuller Youth Institute and one of the authors of one of the most significant books in the field of youth ministry in the last several decades. It's called Growing Young, and it is a result of a huge amount of research and study they have done around churches that... We're not growing older, but growing young.
0: So we're excited to have him with us today. There's six main areas of the church's culture that matter a whole lot that aren't quick tips and tricks, but they're really about building a long-term sustainable culture. Uh, so that that was growing young. And then a topic we've addressed more recently, faith in an anxious world, just realizing we live in a world where a lot of people are anxious, a lot of young people are anxious, mental health challenges and considerations are on the rise. So we worked with um, some psychologists some people who professionally understand what's happening with young people today, to develop a curriculum. Uh, how do we bring those topics up? How do we make them discussable? How do we make them part of what's happening in church? Because we know, Our teenagers are dealing with them. They're talking about them. They're not maybe feeling the same sense of shame or stigma that's been there in the past. So, um, yeah, that would be another resource that we're uh, looking to bring in. Oh, and I should say, we've got a a training cohort on Growing Young. So it's like a one-year journey for your church team. Uh, It's fully virtual this year. So COVID, the pandemic, does not get in the way of it. And um, we'd love to have you involved in or use any of those and
1: from what i understand we actually chris there's some funding to help uh churches that uh, might be interested in that growing young co- cohort but are not um are not maybe able to to do that is that right can you tell us just quick what what can we do for that
2: Sure. Um, particularly for smaller or medium-sized churches that may have uh, a tougher time reaching into professional trainings um, or doing some developmental work like that. Um, I do have uh, a little bit of funds that I've been able to set aside from the Young People's Ministries program budget because, well, COVID stopped a lot of in-person things from happening. Um, And uh, this opportunity with Jake and those uh, cohorts related to Growing Young and Growing With um, really have been some pretty positive experiences for several annual conferences that have done the in-person cohort models. Um, And I would love to be able to be supportive of folks participating in one of those online cohorts as well. So uh, if you're on our call today uh, and are interested in getting a little bit more information, uh, as well as how young people's ministries could support your church uh, participating in that cohort. I'll drop my email address in the chat here. Just shoot me an email so that we can have those conversations um, back and forth when we've got a little bit more time.
1: Great. So uh, Jake clearly has a a whole lot of expertise to share with us this morning. And before we get into our recharge time, um, we want to give you an uh, an opportunity to ask a question you know if there 's something that you are curious about in your own church in your own ministry um or uh, or something that you 've seen of the fuller um, the fuller work uh, go, go ahead and put that question into the chat room and um and uh as you do that, I'd just like to invite Jake to... I, the, one of the things that I, I keep coming back to in the growing young research is this idea of keychain leadership. Can you tell us a little bit about what that means and what you found um, in your research?
0: Yes. So I, I said there's six areas that we pulled out that we think matter most, and they're not just like better pizza parties. It's uh, areas of the church's <laughs> culture. One of those six is this idea of keychain leadership. And you can think of keychain leadership, empowering, entrusting, developing younger people as leaders. The reason we call it keychain is, I wish I had a set of keys near me, but if you have a set of keys, you can hold them up. Uh, The idea is for many of us in the church, as we acquire keys, we keep the keys with us. They stay on our keychain. They stay with us. We think there's a lot of young people who are leaving church, not really engaging with church, not because they question who Jesus is or if this is a good thing to think about or do. They've just never been given a set of keys in the church. They've never been given a set of authority, agency, responsibility. And um, one of the things that stood out most as we were looking at these churches, they're thriving with young people, is you hear story after story of someone saying, I was 15, And they didn't just treat me as a kid and say, no, this is the way we do things around here. They invited me in to shape what this might look like. And that was the moment where I either decided I'm going to, you know, be a pastor or whatever area I feel called into. Or um, just church is something that I can shape that's interactive. So no matter what I do for my vocation and job, um, yeah, church is for me. I'm part of it. And the bonus to that, I would say, is... um, We did all that research pre-COVID as we're getting into COVID, the song and dance that we're singing even stronger. Uh, Let's see, you're not Baptist, right? You're Methodist, so we can talk about dancing. Uh, uh, Kidding to any Baptists who may be watching this later. Um, We're talking about keychain leadership even more in the pandemic because if you want to innovate, if you want to respond, the practical piece of what that looks like is when your church service went online, and let's say you're in your 60s, and I'm not, assume, I'm not being ageist, but let's just say, like, you know, Instagram and Snapchat are not quite as familiar, or other digital platforms, and you're like banging your head against the wall, spending hours trying to produce this online service. We found a lot of churches who are like, where's a 17 year old who's, you know, YouTube famous? And they bring that kid in and help them overhaul everything. And they do it in like 45 minutes. And everybody's like, how did the quality of the service go way up? Well, that 17-year-old, that might have been the moment that they feel this call to like, wait, I get to participate. I get to shape it. So for us, that's, that's keychain leadership. It's, it's practical things, but it's just a value that permeates churches overall that we think everybody wins. Yeah. And that's when you hear the pastor say in his sermon, make sure you pound
1: that red subscribe button, right? <laughs> exactly. Found it. <laughs> uh, just, you know, my keychain has a bottle opener from our defunct uh, young adult ministry. Just just a background
2: on that. That's All way right, worse so, than dancing. I'm just going <laughs> <it> out <there. laughs> Um
1: <clears throat> So here's a question. Uh, Min is wondering, have you seen the growing young and growing with concept play out in Asian American church context? He's wondering if there are
0: um, specific studies on that. Yeah, I wish we had more extensive studies. Um, There certainly are some places where like honor-shame culture comes in, um, respecting elders where it can specifically be a barrier if empowering young people with keys means disrespect to elders. So there's certainly nuance where that needs to be worked out. Um, I'll, I'll speak for a moment to Latinx experiences too. Where this research can run into challenges with Latinx churches if it's not handled well is people who may come to church and that's the area where you're somebody is the way that a Latinx leader described it. Like in other areas of my life, I may not be somebody, have meaningful responsibilities, but when I come to church and I'm an usher, I'm somebody. This research can be harmful if not applied well, of just like take that adult who this is their place to be someone and say you don't get the keys anymore, and give them to a kid. Um we have uh A website, part of our website, focused on multicultural youth ministry, where we do go into some of the nuances here. Um, It's going to unpack some of the research and contextualization that we have. But what I'm going to add is, um, I don't want this to feel like stereotyping, uh, and I don't mean it that way. We've just hired two Asian American uh, leaders who are super high quality on our team, Uh, Andy Jung. And Yuli Lee, uh, Andy lives this out every day. He was a youth pastor, senior pastor, denominational executive. Uh, he could give you a better answer than me, uh, Min. So he's, he's one person I'd point you to on our team. So we're trying to grow in that area, I think, is what I'm trying to signal.
1: Yeah. Uh, so, and, and I think one of the pieces that I've, I've appreciated is um, I've found uh, – Jake and the other people involved in the Fuller Youth Institute as being just actually good people, just like they will respond to questions and not be like, mm, it's in the book, just go by the book. <laughs> so, um, so I, I'd encourage you to, you know, offline reach out uh, to, to Jake and, and the others um, at
0: the Fuller Youth Institute. Um, <clears throat> um, we're going to camp out in Second Corinthians for a bit if you're the type that wants to follow along. I'm going to bounce around, but I'll tell you where we are so that you can track with as much as you'd like.
3: Uh,
0: I got into youth ministry as a 19-year-old. So I I grew up in a church where there was youth ministry, but I guess I, I became a youth ministry leader when I was 19. And getting started, I knew that if you were going to throw a party, you needed to think about the who, the what, the where, the why, and the when, right? Like that's often on the invitation, the who, what, where, why, when. And what I realized in ministry, um, I spent a lot more time focusing on the how or the what (laughs) than I did some of the other elements. Uh, So like thing number one was what are the games that we're going to play? Where are we going to gather? The fun sort of stuff. But the substance was often neglected uh, because it was more of what you could call the context. Again, the the what are we going to do? The how are we going to do it? And in the midst of COVID, I'm finding something similar is happening as I'm talking to leaders. Uh, We're spending a whole lot more time, understandably, and I don't want us to feel guilty about this, focusing on the what we're going to do. Are we going to meet on Zoom? Are we going to meet in like vehicles, but socially distanced? Are we going to, there's all different things that we could do. But I'm finding that in the midst of COVID, we're often as youth leaders neglecting our why. Uh, not spending enough time thinking about the why we do what we do. I think that there's a a personal why, and then there's kind of an organizational or a ministry why, but I want to address both of those as we get into uh, 2 Corinthians here. So we're going to start with 2 Corinthians, uh, we'll start in chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. Okay, so 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 5. And I'm going to read from the NIV. It's what I have in front of me. Um, Paul starts out saying, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ and Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God, just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. And I find it interesting that Paul opens this letter to the Corinthians talking about the troubles that they have undergone and offering comfort to the people for whatever it is that they need comforting from. Uh, In the midst of COVID, in the midst of the challenges in adaptation and cuts in budget and everything that we're going through, uh, I think many of us need to hear those words of comfort uh, that God can bring. The next question that that leads me to, though, is you wonder, okay, does Paul actually have credibility to say what he's saying? Like, yeah, he's offering comfort. Are those just shallow, vague, empty promises in words of encouragement? Uh, or, or can Paul actually back up what he's saying? So for that, we're going to do a credibility check for Paul real quick. We're going to flip to uh, 2 Corinthians 11. And in 11, uh, we're going to jump down to verse 24. Okay, so 2 Corinthians 11, verse 24. Paul says, "Um, I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. I was pelted with stones. I was shipwrecked three times, not once, right? I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, bandits, my own people, the Gentiles, in the city, in the country, at sea, and in danger from false believers. Paul could go on, but I'm going to go ahead and jump down. 12 verse 9. Okay, Second Corinthians 12 verse 9. From what we just read, is it fair to say Paul has had some difficulties in his life? I don't want to judge anyone's journey, but I think if many of us were to stack up what we're going through right now, while not dismissing what anyone's going through right now, Paul's got some credibility to say the things that he's saying. Um, In 12 verse 9, uh, he talks about the words of Christ to him, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And I just want us to dwell on that for a moment. Now, we could read commentaries on that. I could reflect on that for a while. But in the midst of these difficulties, in the midst of these challenges, the word of Jesus to Paul is, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. And I think that for many of us in youth ministry, we've been able to draw our expertise from we're great at planning events, we're great at hanging out with kids, we're great at putting on this programming, Um, I'm hearing from youth leader after youth leader these days that their ministry is feeling weaker than it has ever felt. All of the trappings, all the strappings that used to go with youth ministry, depending on your region of the country or world, aren't there as strong as they were before. Um, and I think it means something that Jesus's words to Paul, and I'm going to take to us are, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Okay, we're now going to jump back to 2 Corinthians 4. We're kind of doing a tour through this letter. 2 Corinthians 4. What does Paul have to say in the midst of all this? 4 verse 1. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Okay, so we've already established Paul's had a tough life. He's gone through some hard stuff. Paul is saying we do, not have, we do not lose heart because of the ministry that God has entrusted us with. I'm going to jump down to 7, 4 verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay. Now, maybe you've heard the band Jars of Clay. You've read this verse before. I'm not going to unpack that fully because I'm assuming you've preached on this before. We've got this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. Again, that theme that I want to keep going with, this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. In verse eight, we're hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. I'm going to jump down to verse 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart, Though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, or sorry, we fix our eyes, yes, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Does Paul dismiss difficulty and suffering and say, don't worry about it. It's no big deal. Just ignore COVID. Focus on heavenly things. Is that what Paul is saying? No, I don't think so. Paul's able to lean into the challenges, the difficulty, the suffering. And I want to get to a little bit of Paul's why. So here's where we're going to finish and then we'll, we'll talk about it. Second Corinthians 5, starting in verse 17. I think this gets to Paul's why, what motivates him in the midst of these challenges? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and given us the ministry of reconciliation. I'm in verse 19. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Okay, a few takeaways that I want to offer based on this, what I think this, this means for us. I know we just did a quick tour through 2 Corinthians. I invite you if you want to read through the, the letter at some point. I think it'd be worthwhile to read through in this season. But number one, I don't find Paul dismissing suffering. I don't find Paul saying, get over it. It doesn't matter. Act like it's not happening. I hear Paul as someone who sits in the midst of suffering and says, but that's not the whole story. Yes, the suffering is hard, but there's something bigger going on here that we're a part of. Second thing I think we can take away from this, um, Paul takes us back to our why. And the why in the midst of these challenges is the reconciling work that Jesus is up to. I had a professor of systematic theology at Fuller who has um, written an entire systematic theology through the lens of reconciliation. He would make the case that probably the best metaphor, the best image that we can think of for the gospel in this present age, is what the gospel means is reconciliation. It is all things being put back together in the way that God intended them to be at the time of creation. Now, we can talk about that as the coming of Jesus's kingdom, uh, that it would be present on earth as it is in heaven, shalom, the restoration of all things. But I think all of that fits within this idea of reconciliation. The other thing I take away... um, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of Paul realizing that there's bigger things at work that this restoration, this reconciliation is happening, it doesn't lead Paul to say, "Yeah, so just forget about the world. Let's focus on those heavenly things. Let's camp out in a spiritual reality." Uh, this leads Paul to engage the world around him, to speak in, to make things better. Um, Jeremy talked about keychain leadership. I. I think keychain leadership is something that we see Paul up to, for example, with Timothy, with others, where Paul is actively, because of his why, because of what he sees God doing in the world, is looking for others around him that he can mentor, pour into, uh, and invest in. So what I would leave you with, I'll I'll say personally to start with, um, I would encourage you just to think a little bit about your personal why. Uh, Can you carve out some space today, this week, not just to focus on the what, but why are you actually in ministry? What got you involved in student ministry in the first place? What has kept you engaged in the church when there's a whole lot of reasons that you could step away from it? Um, That might be you in a journal. That might be you in a computer. That might be you in a conversation with a friend. But just to ask that question, like, Why am I doing this? What motivates me? Why am I excited about ministry with students? So, personally, I would invite you into that. I would also invite you into that organizationally. So, for your student ministry uh, or whatever context you find yourself in, to ask the question why do we actually do all of this stuff that we're doing? Uh, When many of the things that we've done for a long time can't happen anymore, this is a convenient time to ask why. To ask what would it actually look like for the gospel of Jesus to be worked out in a student's life, my guess is that's part of the reason why you do what you do. You've seen the power of when Jesus gets a hold of someone's life and the difference that it can make. Um, I don't just want to leave that as like a, a hypothetical philosophical exercise. We study innovation. We study change. In this season, those churches who are coming up with the best what, the best how tend to be those churches that are journeying deepest into why. I'll give you one example. There's a, a church that we're working with called uh, Community Christian Church. They're in Chicago. They're a larger church, but I think this is true for any type of church. The reason I mentioned they're a larger church, programming is a really important part of what they do. And they've done um, a whole lot of things in the midst of COVID. For the last number of months, they've been doing basically Zoom programming. So they, they host youth group, but over Zoom. So Maybe you've done this, right? They, they start with a game and then they do a message and then they do worship and then they do small groups. They've made the decision as they reflected on their, their why and specifically why they do what they do with their students. In this season, they've realized that a lot of what they do doesn't move them towards their why. They want to see students experience that reconciliation. They think students experience that reconciliation through relationships. So at least for the next two to three months, they have cut All regular student ministry programming, everything that they do is based on a small group model. And I don't just want to say small groups like we all do small groups, like, oh yeah, we do games and teaching, whatever, and then we have an adult meet with the kids for like 10 minutes and talk about something, but it's awkward. They are overhauling everything that they do where their energy as a staff and volunteer leaders is about recruiting and training up adults for how do you invest in students' lives. That is the whole basis of what they're focusing on, at least for the next few months and maybe more moving forward. Um, They're seeing really positive fruit. They haven't heard too much complaint because it's COVID. So like nobody's expecting regular programming in the way that they were before, but they've needed that personal why to sustain them and reflect on why we're actually doing this in a way that carries them through asking that why for our ministry and what we want to see in the lives of our students, all of a sudden opened up a bunch of the stuff we're doing is not the most important stuff this is a season for us to get to that most important stuff. So read some second Corinthians, think about your why. That would be my, my advice, um, my reflections in this season.
3: Jake, thank you very much. Um, I think that's really helpful. Can I, can I ask you a couple of questions? ask you a question? Do you have time? I do. Please go for it. What, um, what do you think is something, what do you think when we someday we're going to get out of COVID? I hope. Um, how, how do you see the overall landscape of specifically student ministry, um, changing? What, what if in your research and stuff, what is something that maybe we all are missing? Uh, and I don't mean to prolong the question, but I know for like me, I I'm already in my mind preparing to go back to what I did in February, um, whenever we end this and I'm fearful that that that's the wrong thought process. What is something that we could be anticipating in terms of change the way we do things?
0: Yeah, I I guess you could call me traditional in this sense. Um, But I think that we spend so much time in student ministry focusing on what is changing. And I affirm that because we're working with a group of young people (laughs) who Gen Z are different than millennials, who are different Mm -hmm. than Gen X, who are different than boomers but we can get so enamored with what's changing that we lose touch with what will never change. Uh. Um, And so my advice and what I think we're seeing is how can we focus even more on those things in students' lives that will never change? And I think it's, it's counterintuitive, but as we focus on those elements that will never change, I think that will lead us to a great deal of change. No, here's what I mean by that. If you ask what these students need now that they have always needed, they need relationships and a sense of belonging. They need to know that there are people out there who love them and care for them and who are invested in them no matter what happens and where things go. That's been true since, I don't know, the beginning of humanity. Um, (laughs) It's kind of the model that Jesus shows us how we do ministry It's what a whole bunch of really smart Methodist theologians would have explored and written about for years. Yet we can take the core, the essence and build all these other things on top of it, which are all nice and and good to haves, but it actually can keep us then from just the core of what we've always known ministry is about. And to me, the best example is, Small groups, they get added on to everything else, but we're not that intentional. They don't really work, in it, but we know we're supposed to do it somehow. But if the essence of ministry and what doesn't change is the core of adults who are deeply formed by Jesus Christ, who invest and share life with students, I would be asking not how do we respond to them in the midst of COVID. I would ask how do we make sure that every single one of our students has that as much as possible, as often as possible. That's going to change in COVID, after COVID, whatever. But you're getting back to those most important essentials as everything gets thrown up in the air. I think this is a season like we may not have in a long time to ask what matters most because, and this was the church I was talking about, Community Christian, it would have taken them years to get permission to Mm -hmm. cancel all their programming. This is a high achieving, higher socioeconomic, kids are going to Ivy League schools sort of church to convince those parents and staff and that like, Hey, can we cancel a regular program? No, you can't cancel your regular program. We hired you to do regular programming. In the midst of this, you might have a season to try some things. I would try the things that get back to just in the core of your heart, probably why you got into student ministry because somebody invested in you in a way that you just do that. That, That'd be, it's so simple, but it's so counterintuitive in what, all the flash and pizzazz point us in a different way.
3: That's awesome. Because I think maybe we're not, sometimes we don't look at this as an opportunity to get back. We're we're not looking at this situation that we're faced as a positive. And And what I'm hearing you say is that we have the opportunity to turn this around and make this a positive, to really gain some things out of it.
0: Yeah, I mean the so I'm wrapping up my PhD. I study congregational change and one of the principles is that change begets more change. Now the psychology of this is you you have your mental model, all of us walk around with the way something is supposed to be and it is hard to shake our mental models. If we have a sense of what something's supposed to be, that's hard to shake. What happens in a crisis event is your mental model goes out the window. Like you you can't mm-hmm. rely on that anymore. So physiologically, psychologically, we we seek psychological safety and predictability. So what our brain starts to do is says, well if this doesn't work, if we don't go to church like we used to, what are all the other options that'll work? And we latch on to the first thing that is the new thing that works. Right. So if you look at it that way, yes, if you wanted to make some changes, now is is your moment of opportunity to think through what that'll look like. Mm-hmm. I do see the questions.
3: Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to let you answer that. We'll do that as a, our last question before wrapping up because I think Candace has a good question. So do you want to re- respond to that, Jake?
0: Yes. So um how do we convince our parents that this is important? Our parents' kids claim to be zoomed out for whatever reason don't see the benefits uh of the, the benefit of the opportunities we have to continue building relationship. It's hard to say shake mental models. Uh two, two quick things. And let me start by saying it's not easy. I do recognize I can just say this, right? So it's not (laughs) easy to do. This is difficult work. Um, I think that you convince them by helping them see that it was their idea all along. Okay? Don't come to them with the answer. Help them realize it was their idea all along. How do you do that? Through listening and empathy. So, one of the other things we write about in Growing Young is the importance of empathy and perspective taking. Um, What I would recommend you do. If the kids are Zoomed out, great. Uh, Not great, but do this instead. See if you can have Zoom conversations with five to ten parents in the next month and ask them, what do you think your your kid needs most in this season? If there was anything that we as a church could be doing, um, how would you hope that we support your son, your daughter, etc.? So not only are you empathizing with, connecting, and listening to parents, who the research shows are the primary spiritual influence anyway in the life of their kid. You get to connect with the parents. My guess is that the parents are going to say something like my kid is so stressed out right now. They're so disconnected. They're not sure that there's anybody who really cares about them. They might get into their kid's mental health in some way shape or form. I bet at the end you could summarize that call by saying, so it feels like your son or daughter just really needs someone there to connect with them to listen to them, to be with them. And my guess is most parents at the end are going to say, yeah, that's exactly right. You do enough of those calls and what you can share with the parents is, Hey, we've been listening and connecting with each of you. And what you have clearly told us is you really want us as a ministry to be investing more intentionally, more relationally with your kids. Here's how we're going to do that. And I don't know how you're going to do that. My guess is you spend enough time listening and all of a sudden, you're going to be hearing the good ideas. And then you're not, you're not convincing them, here's my idea to save what you and what you wanted to do. It's, hey, that whole thing that you've said is important, we're listening. We're going to do that as a ministry. Who's going to argue with that? Um, that may sound easier than it is. I'm continually surprised by the number of youth leaders who do that and say that was one of my pivot points in ministry. I actually took parents seriously, listened to them, and then came back to them with this being their ideas.